Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are all having a great start to your week so far. This week's guest is my dear friend, Miss Catherine Lavery. So Catherine is the CEO of a company called Best Self Co. And if that company sounds really familiar, it's because we had her co-founder, Alan Brower, on as one of our first ever episodes on the show. So Catherine lives in Austin with me now, and I am so grateful that I got a chance to dive down the rabbit hole with her because Catherine's story is something that's actually very similar to my own. Back in 2011, Catherine moved from Ireland to New York City to take up a graduate job as an architect. Despite dabbling in stuff on the side, selling online, there was really no question for her not to follow a traditional career path, and I totally resonate with that as somebody who grew up in an Indian family pursuing a petroleum engineering job. But when Catherine got here, her employer announced a 25% cut in her pay. And as Catherine wasn't ready to quit or admit to her parents that things weren't working out as expected, she launched a side hustle to help make ends meet. But for long enough, her side hustle was making a lot more money than her full-time job. And Catherine jumped in to become a full-time entrepreneur and never looked back. So she is the creative genius behind the self-journal and probably one of the most genuine people I know. With Best Self Co., Catherine, alongside Alan, won the Shopify's Build a Business and Build a Bigger Business Awards, which gets them opportunities to get mentored by Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss and Damon John and all sorts of incredible people. Catherine's story, one, is not only inspiring uh, for people who are navigating the journey from employed entrepreneur, but Catherine also dives really deep into the idea of creating artistic space as you're building a business. And as a creative myself, I've been finding myself uh, switching from the role of an entrepreneur to the role of an artist. And so I was really keen to learn how Catherine makes space to create and her answers were absolutely amazing. So we cover everything from how to leverage empathy to attract a kick-ass team, how Catherine makes decisions on a daily basis, the four things Catherine practices to build her self-awareness, why Catherine's biggest fear is mediocrity and why you must enjoy the process more than the outcome if you want to be a successful entrepreneur or just successful in any venture of life. Catherine's one of my favorite people and we sat down in my apartment and jammed out over this entire hour. So I hope you guys take a lot out of this conversation with somebody who has not only walked the walk, but talks it really well and is able to really explain her own philosophies and how she was able to go from a place of being an employee, a place where she was scared, being in a new country, to then becoming extremely successful and helping others be successful as well. So I hope you guys enjoyed this one. But if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Stay Grounded on any of the podcast apps, whatever you choose. All that means is every single time we have a new episode, it just drops right in your phone so that you get to enjoy it on the go. Yeah, guys, hope you guys enjoy this one. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, this conversation with my good friend, Miss Catherine Lavery, and I hope you guys do too. So 
Without further ado, here is the amazing Catherine Lavery. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. Who am I excited to be looking at the person sitting right across from me today and not across a computer screen? Hey, Catherine. Hey, Raj. How's it going? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. All right. That's awesome. So for context, everybody, you guys all know that I just moved to Austin and Catherine lives in Austin. And so we are now doing the first official live interview from Austin. And I'm really excited to have Catherine here for that. So, yeah, I'm excited to be your guinea pig. You're not a guinea pig. I've been doing this for a while, Catherine. Let's not let's not push the buttons. No, it's great. You made me coffee right before. It was awesome. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's get started. So I already introed you, so everybody knows at least a little bit about you or what I think I like about you. But what I'd like to start with is you've made a pretty similar career transition just like I did. You went from a very traditional career to something that breeds a lot of fulfillment, joy, and abundance in your life. Why, one, did you want to go from being an architect to an entrepreneur? And two, can you talk about that journey and the difficulties that might have come up as you started making that transition? So when I first started the transition, I didn't realize I was making a transition. I thought I was just starting a, a thing on the side that was making a little bit of money. And And the reason I started the thing on the side was because... I moved from the UK, I went to Union Scotland, I grew up in Belfast, and then I moved to New York, and I had a job at an architecture firm. Probably a month before I was supposed to come out, they were like, we still want you to come out because we really like your work, because I interned for them, but we can't pay you what we said we were going to pay you. We want to pay you 25% less. And so at that point, I'd already gotten my visa and like paid all this money, and I'm, and I'm thinking okay, do I still go? And I'm thinking, well, I've always wanted to live in New York, so let me just go. So I, so I arrive in New York. I have two weeks off before I'm starting this job. After a week, they tell me, actually, we don't quite have enough work, so let's start you in six weeks. But of course, I'd gone there expecting, okay, I'm going to get a paycheck in, in a few weeks. I didn't, you know, I had like $760. So I'm like, what am I going to do for the next five weeks until I start? And it's funny because I called them the next day and I'm just trying to figure, I'm like, being way nice about him, like trying to understand what why they would do this. And one of the bosses was like, you know, I, I know that when people graduate, they want to like travel and like do things. So this is an opportunity to do that. Oh and I'm God. thinking, yeah, I did travel. <laughs> I traveled over here to start this job. <laughs> and so I just had, to, and I didn't want to tell my parents that, you know, I just moved over and I didn't have this job. And so I was just feeling a lot of like pressure and didn't want to admit defeat because I'm super stubborn. So I just started doing some design things on the side. And that's kind of the beginning of where this transition was. But it wasn't like I started and thought, okay, I'm quitting architecture and I'm doing this thing. This was just something that I started on the side. And then it eventually like became much bigger. To preface that, I became an architect because I was good at like design and also like physics. So I was like, okay, this career path makes sense. But when I was younger... Like I had an eBay store when I was like 13 or 14 in, instead of a side job because I, I was like slinging DVDs on the internet. <laughs> I was basically drop shipping, except I didn't know what that was. I wasn't able to have a PayPal account at that time. So my mom <laughs> allowed me to set one up under her name. And then I also sold cupcakes on the playground when I was like six. So I was very interested in like, how do I make my own money? But I didn't have any mentors or people that I knew that did that. And so... 
even though it had done well. Like I bought my first laptop because of my eBay business and I was always like investing in, okay, how do I set up a real online store and I, but I didn't know anyone that did the same thing. So for me, I was like, okay, now I have to get serious about my career and, and like school and everything and go down the conventional path. And I, I want to ask a question about that. So with your conventional path, did you feel like you had to become an architect because it was prestigious in the eyes of your parents or and, and that kind of made you steer away from the path of entrepreneurship? And at that point, when you realized you were going to be an entrepreneur, were there any like, I guess, psychological barriers that were stopping you from sort of diving in altogether? Like, did you tell your parents you were starting to sell stuff again? And like, was there was there a, a period or like a dark period where you felt like you were kind of alone in the journey? Yeah. So the reason I became an architect is because that's all. I, like, I there wasn't an option of not going to university. Like that wasn't even a thought in yeah. my head. It was like, this is the path and this is what I'm doing. And it never really occurred to me that I would just do my own thing. So uh, my dad's a doctor and my mom also was a teacher and a nurse. So I just come from a very traditional yeah. sort of family. So again, I didn't know anyone that did this entrepreneurship thing. And I had a very, the map that I was given was very conventional with the career. So whenever I got to the US and started doing my own side thing. I didn't tell my parents right away because I didn't want to admit that the job thing hadn't worked out quite yet. And then once I started the job, I did it for about 18 months and then my side business was making way more than my regular job was. And I knew I was going to quit. So I told my dad, I'm thinking about quitting like three months before I was going to because I wanted to warm him up to the fact that I was quitting. Yeah. But I wanted to bring it up as in like, I'm thinking about leaving. And so of course I get this. I don't know if that's a good idea. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. And I was already had my own doubts because I'd never I never did business studies when I was at school. I never really had done any business courses at all. So before I quit my job, I set myself this target of I did all this research on what books I should be reading. So I had like 23 books, I think. And I wouldn't let myself leave my job until I'd read these 23 books. And it was on like mindset and finance and business. And it was like a kind of my own like personal MBA, which was one of the books that I read as well on how do I quit my job and have some sort of foundation to work on. I think that's brilliant. I mean, I I resonate with that a lot. I remember when I was working full time, I mean, JavaPress was making a lot of money, like way more money than I was making in my job, but my, I think my dad wanted to see, he's like, I don't believe this is true. Like, this is funny money. I don't get it. Yeah. And so he wanted me to make the same amount of money for six months straight to prove it to him. Yeah. And at the time I was really, I, I wanted their approval. Like I didn't want to go out on this new path and not have their support. I just felt like that would be weird. So I stuck there and I stood there and I took that time just to, kind of like you did to give myself that MBA. I think that's brilliant. In a way, now, your side business at the time, was that Best Self Co. or was that something different? No, that was my first business, which was a design apparel goods store, which is on Shopify, funnily enough. And it was funny because when I started, I had my job, you know, it was before my job, but then in my job, I was like shipping these orders at lunchtime. So I'd bring them in this bag. And then by the end, I was 
It's crazy when I think back of how little time I spent on it compared to the amount of money where I was getting a task rabbit to come to my apartment because I was shipping everything out of there yeah. and like pick up all of like boxes and boxes of stuff to ship out. Meanwhile, I'm going to work in a job making less than $40,000 a year. And even when I left, I didn't just tell them, okay, I'm leaving. I took like a three month because I didn't want to leave them in the lurch. I wanted to finish off my projects, but I didn't want to take on anything new. So I'm like, I'll do these projects because they're on site. I want to see them through, but I'm just working temporarily for the next three months to finish these things off. And that was my like dipping my feet in the water of, okay, what if I leave my job and then suddenly I want to sleep all day and I have no motivation and, and all this stuff. And so every Wednesday I was going to work and within like two weeks, I just want to be working on my business. Like every Wednesday night was like my Friday night where it was like one day going in to work at this job. I was just exhausted. I'm like, yeah. I just don't want to be here, but I did stick it out until those projects were finished. And then I peaced out. Yeah. And peaced out is good. Clearly it's done well for you. Now I want to transition into your, uh, your time as an entrepreneur. So one, I have a question. How did your early experience being an employee make you a better entrepreneur? And were there like things in hindsight now you look back where you're like, or are there experiences in your life where you look back now and at the time you're like, God, this sucks. Like I'd hate doing this or you're not like, there's just a lot of resentment around those experiences. But looking back now, you kind of see like you had to go through those things in order for you to be the person you are today. Oh yeah, for sure. I think those experiences taught me how to be a better employer to my team because one of my bosses on my job I could tell Noi looking back that he was like stressed out and frustrated and and just taking it out on people. And then I could also see how maybe if he sees someone on their phone, like he reacts a certain way. And, and now I'm like, as a boss, I'm like, yeah, you should be working. I totally get that. But I, I understand how to communicate what I need better. And then also there was times... And it only occurred to me when I was in New York and I was passing this building that we designed and I, I just got, it was like a time machine where I'm like back to when we were working on it. And I had this like anxiety in my stomach because by the end it was just like, there was a lot of things I didn't know that I didn't know yet because they'd gotten me right out of school. And so they're like throwing me in the deep end, which was great because I'm learning as I go, but there was no map of like, okay, here's the steps it was like, oh, did you do this? And and it's this very niche New York thing. And I'm like, no, because I didn't know that that was something you had to do. And so then you get yelled at. And so then you just have constant anxiety that you're fucking up. Yeah. And it was just not like a nice feeling at all. And I would just feel like that all the time. And what I realized whenever I was at that building is like, oh, I hope none of my team feel like that where they don't know what they don't know. And they also don't know what success looks like in their role. So there was times where I'm working on this report, this homeless shelter, they wanted to just do this report and they got paid like a hundred grand for it. And I was doing it, but they'd never done one before. So they didn't really know exactly what they had to do. And I knew even less. And so that was the last project that I worked on. I was just like, oh my God, I'm, I don't know what success looks like in this because you've never done it before and you're not very good at explaining it. And they wouldn't sit down and like work with you until like 6 p.m. when you're about to leave the office. They're like, okay, we'll sit down. Actually, I'd never leave at 6. It was like 8 p.m. And they're like, okay, let's sit down and look over things. So it's just like a general sense of 
one, not knowing what success looked like, also not really appreciating the time that people put in. So I would stay overnight sometimes and I would work late all the time. Like I never left before like 7 p.m. ever. And I was in there like 8 a.m. And then I remember my dad was visiting and the, the few weeks before I'd been working like 100 hour weeks. And then I asked if I could get a day off when my dad was visiting. And they were like, yeah, if you have the time, you can take it off. And I'm just thinking, I just worked like, and you didn't get paid overtime or anything. You, you weren't even getting, like, health insurance. So it was, it was literally, like, not really paying your people that well, not giving them benefits, and then not appreciating when they put the time in. So for me, as, like, a boss, and employer, I, I'm just thinking, okay, I felt, like, so unappreciated. I didn't feel like they thought I was valuable for the team, but it wasn't just me. It was just the general team. So people tended to burn out quickly. So with my team, I try to understand like what motivates them also do they know what success in their role looks like doing one-to-one so I can see personally if anything's going on that I can help them with that is affecting their professional life so like last Black Friday around Black Friday a few weeks before I did one-to-ones with the team and one team member work-wise who was running all of our marketing was like work-wise everything's good but personally I'm moving in like 10 days and I'm a little stressed out about it because I have so much things to do. And that was right after I moved from Austin and I just got myself an assistant. So rather than like me try to help her with work, which is already sorted, I'm like, oh, just borrow my assistant, <laughs> have her make all the calls for you and like set things up because that will take stress off her personally and then she can focus on her work. So it's really like understanding people, what motivates them and then how you can help them either personally or professionally so that they can keep motivated and know that you're not just caring about when they show up to work, you're caring about them as a person as well. I think you built an incredible amount of empathy, which is what it sounds like, one, towards your own situation. Like you were able to see what you didn't like, and then you were able to spot that in others. How has empathy made you a better entrepreneur? For me, I feel, I think I'm a very empathetic person. I always look at it from the other point of view of how I might see something and then how someone else might see it. So whether it's product, designing product, I see how I see it, but then also putting myself in other people's shoes and how they would see it or marketing. Like I have my own view, but how do we market to someone that has a completely different view? And that's really just about being empathetic to where they are. And then just with the team, there's things that come up, you know, in people's day-to-day lives. And sometimes they won't be there when you need them to be, but they're there most of the time. And if you could be empathetic that, oh yeah, your kid's sick, you're not going to be so available today or something else, then they do remember that and will work. We have one person on the team who she's been with us the longest and her husband has a job and everything, but he, he always comes out to our events. We had a trade show in New York and he was there like helping them set up the booth. And that's because we have given her like total ownership. We also are empathetic to when she has things with the kids. We give her the time that she needs, but she also will work at weekends and she has a sense of ownership over what she does. So she's not there for a paycheck, which is why at the weekend, her husband is there helping them set up the booth, even though we never asked them to do that. It's just, that's the type of people that you get if you treat them like that. Yeah. And I think that you mentioned something just about being able to understand other people's perspectives, whether that's in marketing or business or team building, it doesn't matter. How has your own journey as an entrepreneur helped you define a better understanding of who you are in the first place? 
I think when I first started, I thought of it just as like a business thing, but I feel like entrepreneurship is just a journey of personal growth. 100%. And you tend to grow more. I, you know, I feel like entrepreneurship is great for so many people only because you're forced to grow into the position that you need to be or the person that you need to be to face whatever problems. Cause there's problems that come up in your first year that you're just like, Oh my God, how am I going to deal with this? Fuck. And then they come up year three and you're like, not even phased by it because you've so like stepped outside of your comfort zone to deal with it before that you've just expanded your circle of comfort. And yep. so then you can deal with way more both in life and business. Yeah. It's almost like a, they, they're parallel. Yeah. Like I, I feel like, especially when you're in, I don't think you need to be an entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur, I guess. You can be an entrepreneur in a company. Like we have people on our team that are entrepreneurs and you just have to, know how to work with those people to keep them like challenged and motivated within your team so that they they don't feel like okay I need to go out and start my own thing as a challenge I'm getting enough challenge and growth in my job I think that's an important distinction you know especially for anybody listening you know when we when we say entrepreneurship I personally do believe and Catherine you mentioned this earlier but entrepreneurship is the best vehicle for personal growth because you're forcing yourself to put yourself in situations you have no idea how to do, be around people you might not want to be around and empathize not only with team members, but also a general market. And so you learn a lot about yourself in the process. So in general, how has your own journey with entrepreneurship paralleled with growth personally? So like in, in a way where, like for me, like I know that I have changed a lot I've grown more in the last year. I think we were talking about this earlier, but I've grown more in the last year than I have, I think, in the last like seven. Yeah. And that's because, you know, I've been thrown into the deep end. So do you fear huge challenges, like based on when you started mm-hmm. to where you are now? How has your relationship with fear kind of evolved? For me, I, I was talking to a friend recently, Frank, about this, and we were, and I didn't realize, but I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable when I need to be to get me to the next part of fulfillment or happiness or whatever. And a lot of times, you know, it's just getting outside of what's comfortable, both in business and and our personal life that will help us get to the next part. So for me, I think at the beginning, you grow your confidence as an entrepreneur, as you develop personally. When you first start, it's kind of like playing poker and you're, you have like five chips and so you can you only take certain risks because you don't have a lot to lose. And so as you get bigger and grow bigger, you take bigger risks because you've built that self-esteem of unconfidence in yourself that you're like, okay, I know that I'm going to deal with this, whatever it takes. But you do need, it's not like you take the same leaps that I would do now than I, that I would when I first got started. I'll tell you this, like, I think it's all relative. I think you normalize yourself with this idea of what's a big risk. Right. Like I remember when I first started, you know, it was software companies for breweries. I remember my first cold call. God, that felt like a huge risk. Yeah. Like, and that was probably one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. And now, even though I'm dealing with all these other things, they might not seem as scary, but on paper, they're bigger risks. True. Right? So it's almost like your own perception of what a risk even is kind of evolves over time. How has that shown to be true? Like, what was the first biggest risk you felt like you were taking? And how does that compare now 
to your own ability to take risks? Like, has your mindset evolved in the way that you manage risk or mitigate risk? I think what, so my first cold call was the worst (laughs) in my mind because I built it up into this beast. So yeah, I totally understand that where it seemed bigger at the time, whereas now that I'm doing things that are actually bigger on paper, it affects me less than that did. When I'm thinking something's a risk, I think what's the worst that can happen? So I, I try to see, okay, what's the very worst that can happen? And then what's likely to happen so that, and like, am I okay with what's likely to happen? If things don't go well, yes, then I'll move forward. But typically I kind of have a, a good grasp on what's a good move based on what I'm happy with risking. Like there's some stuff that I don't want to take a risk on as far as quality of a product. I'm like, it might turn out well, but I'm like, I for some things I'm like, I want to be sure with a sample how things are going to work out, yeah. even though I might hit this sale a little later because that stuff matters brand wise. But for the most part, what we what we think is the worst that's going to happen is actually not that bad. Like yeah. when we first started, we got a cease and desist and I'm just like, oh my God, this is the worst thing that's going to happen. And I'm I'm telling someone this who's further along the path of me than, than I was. So, so I was like, cease and desist, like I'm getting sued, I'm going to lose everything, you know, the whole nine yards. And then this person was like, well, all that really happened is you got a letter in the mail. That's all that happened. <laughs> and you've created this whole story about what that means, but... As far as we're concerned, currently you got a letter in the mail and you're freaking out. That's a that's that's a good reframe because I remember when I first got my first season assists, I, I had to like I called my lawyers, I got on phone call, and that probably cost more than anything. Like I was freaking out. I like created responses and I sent them out, and yeah, no, I totally I totally get that, and I think that's telling. Just having the right people in your life, right? Yeah. So you're somebody actually that I admire a lot just being able to get mentored by folks that are light years ahead of you. When you're getting mentored by people, like what makes you mentorable, I guess, in in a way, like, because you've been around some some Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, some huge names. So in that frame, what makes you somebody who can be coachable or who who people want to help, do you think? For me, I think, because I love learning new things and also... I don't think that I know everything. So I I can see, oh, they've seen, it almost makes me, I listen to everything they say, which might not always be good, but I'm thinking they've seen hundreds, if not thousands of people in my same position. Like I'm not a unique snowflake that I think mine is so special that they can't help me. So I think it's a mix of, I love learning. I also want to hear their perspective on what the next thing could be, but then also realize that you're on your own journey and you don't have to take everything they say and and put it in the plan right away. Do you ever feel insecure when you don't do what other people who are way more successful than you, like when you don't do what they tell you to do? Because I totally feel that way sometimes when I get a piece of advice from somebody who's like, oh, you should actually do this. And they're way successful. And I'm on this path of doing something different. Do you ever feel like challenged or I guess in a way like unsure about what you're doing? And how do you navigate that? Well, I mean, I feel insecure generally about being around people that are like way ahead of me because I'm just thinking, why are they, you know, I'm so small compared to them. As far as doing what they say, I think I always take into account what they say and I might do some things, but 
if everyone did the same thing as everyone else, then no one would be creating an impact because people would be used to the same thing. So I also take it as if something doesn't feel right in my gut as a good move, because there's different avenues you can go down, like short term, there's been times where we could have put out something that I wasn't completely happy with and made more money. And if our goal was revenue only, that would be one thing. So it also depends. Is your mentor thinking about how much money you can make this year? Or are they thinking, how big is your brand going to be in like five to 10 years? And that also is going to impact what advice they give and also what advice you should take. So I think that comes to the idea of asking the right questions. How do you know which questions are the right ones to ask when you have limited time with a mentor? I don't always know what the right questions are. I think like when we sat down with Tony Robbins, it's it's hard to know what the right questions are because you don't know what you don't know. So so in that aspect, I like to think of him as, okay, he's going to tell us what he wants to tell us. It doesn't really matter what questions we ask at this point. He is going to let us know what we should do. It's like a almost not not in a bad way. It's not like, but a politician, you ask them a question and they will give you the answer that they want. And so he knows our business. He did a lot of research. Same with the other mentors. So sometimes like with Tim Ferriss, we would ask him a question and he would be like, I don't know the answer to this, but here's the books or resources that you need to find. And so for him, it was more helpful because he wasn't saying that he knew the answers, but he was giving us resources of where to find them. Yeah. That's a good point. So I guess different mentors, just understanding your mentor then. Yeah. Knowing who the person is and understanding which frame they're going to be coming from so that you can take the most use out of it. I love that. That's brilliant. Uh, You mentioned something about gut and if it feels good in your gut. How do you make your gut smarter or I guess create an environment where you're starting to trust your gut more, especially in the journey of building businesses or doing something you have no idea how to do? I feel like... I personally, a lot of times, I'm getting better at trusting my gut, but a lot of times I wish I had a stronger sense of or connection to what I feel is right. So how do you build a better relationship with your gut instinct? I think your gut comes with confidence as you build things. And also, it's all part of being empathetic. So with your gut, if something comes up for you, I often think about it from my point of view and then also from whatever point of view is the opposite of what I'm thinking. And then it becomes clear either what I should do or or the different options of things to do. A lot of times I read a book on like decision making and people go, it's like this or this, but they don't think of a third option that is completely different. So they went into different examples of like a big company that bought, um, what's that drink company with the, the little facts inside. Snapple? Yeah. I think either they bought someone and it it wasn't a case of, it's like, should we buy them or should we not? And it turned out to be a terrible deal, but they didn't look at it as, or should we look at this other completely different avenue of businesses that we should acquire? Because you narrow your focus enough that all you're seeing is these two options, but you're not even seeing what the third one would be. So for me, like gut is being empathetic and figuring out what the different points of view might be, but then also talking about it with other people. And then they bring up stuff you weren't even thinking about. And then you're going to have more information to make a decision and give your gut more confidence moving forward. So that's it. So it's educating your gut. Yeah. I think that's the cheat code to making just a, a more intelligent, I guess 
When you think about it, that's pretty simple. Yeah. If you want a smarter gut, give Get it smarter. more information. <laughs> yeah. Give it more information, and that creates the environments for it to learn. And often our gut feeling is taking in a lot of information that we we have, but we just don't know where it comes from. But when we have a gut feeling about something, it's not like we just pull an answer out of nowhere. It's like feelings that we have, conversations that we've had, books that we've taught. You know, it all comes together in our brain, and we have a reaction to it, which we say, say is a gut feeling, but it actually isn't coming out of nowhere. It's coming from our past experiences that we're learning from and pulling out an answer, but it's not out of nowhere. I think that's why self-awareness is so important because you're right. I mean, everything you've been through in your past, everything you're going through right now, your connection to your emotions, what you're learning, it all comes together. And I call it like an encyclopedia. That's your body that just has all this information. So how do you currently build self-awareness? And are there practices that you do to actually get to know yourself better and and be more confident in your gut just by the pure virtue of you learning more about yourself? For me, I think like talk therapy is very helpful, just talking to someone. So I, I saw a therapist last year and that was helpful. And a lot of times it's not even stuff that they say. It's more talking out loud to someone that you pay to be there to listen and you're not talking about, you're not talking to a friend that you're like, oh God, I hope I'm not complaining too much. It's like, I pay this person to listen. And then a lot of times as you're talking, you come to realization. So either like a therapist or I have a, uh, a coach that we work through a current way of being and then a future way of being and how we want to show up differently in the world and then setting, setting intention and like homework or challenges to show up in the new way of being. So I think constantly like learning different ways that you show up and then I think the type of people that you hang out with will also help you become more self-aware yeah are there things that you do solo because everything you just mentioned had something to do with someone else are there things that you practices whether it's journaling maybe meditation maybe or even just solo experiences travel are there things that you bake into your routines that allow you to become more in tune with who you are I journal every day and I also meditate. For me, I think journaling is more valuable. Like in the morning, I do my morning pages where I just spit out everything that is in my brain. Or if I'm feeling like if I have some sort of disagreement with someone or say I'm just feeling like off about something, I often journal about what happened and then why I might be feeling that way. And then I begin to understand, oh, this is where I'm showing up and this is why it bothers me. It actually has nothing to do with whatever the thing was. It's just how I'm feeling about something else. And you're getting better and better at sort of connecting those dots yeah. as you journal. Right? Yeah. Because I feel that like when I feel like, I think I heard this from Tim Ferriss actually on, I think one of his, one of his, I think his book or show or something like that, but talked about journaling as like anxiety windshield wipers mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that. Like it almost just clears everything so that you can just go about it's like you're just removing the anxiety and putting it on paper. Yeah. Do you get anxious in, in different situations? And when that happens, if you're not in a place where you can just journal it out, how do you real-time sort of manage anxiety and, and the many forms that it may come up in? I mean, for me, I definitely have anxiety over things. Sometimes I get overwhelmed with the amount of things. And I try to understand, okay, where is it coming from? Is it Because I feel like I don't have enough time to do something. Or like last night, for example, I was looking at my calendar and I'm going out of town on Friday and I'm just feeling like, oh my God, 
how am I going to get this stuff done is giving me anxiety. And so I'm like, how do I solve this in a way that I can like breathe? So I just asked my assistant, can you move all these calls until next week? So I have some more time. And sometimes it's about understanding where the anxiety is coming from and seeing if you can fix it. And you can't always like do things like that. And I rarely do it, but I was just feeling like I want to show up as my best. And if I have these seven hours of calls back to back, I just won't, I won't be, I'll be a fucking shell of a human by the end (laughs) and I'll not want to be there. So I think understanding how you want to show up as your best and realizing sometimes the anxiety comes from realizing you won't be able to do that for one reason or the other. And then what you can do to step outside of that. Catherine, what do you fear? Mediocrity. Is that a word? That's a word. (laughs) I think I said it wrong, but I think just being like mediocre is like a fear for me. Why is it a fear for you? I just feel like I have the time to do something that creates like a bigger impact than that. Or it doesn't have to be a big like worldly impact, but I just don't, I don't want to show up not my best at anything. So I'd rather not do anything than do something half-assed. Yeah. And that's something like personally I have. So for example, um, my girlfriend brought this up. We were talking about like when we first met and she was like, one of the things I noticed about you is like when you decide to do something, you like go full in with whatever it is. I was going to the Women's March and I'm like, okay, my goal for the Women's March is I'm creating this sign and I want the sign to be picked up by Huffington Post or something as one of the top witty signs, right? So that was my goal and I created the sign and then I got into the New Yorker and she's like, wow, you really like when you decide to do something, you just do it. Or she came over for like a drink and she's like, you know, I thought you would just get like vodka and Coke or something, but you're like getting into mixology and like creating like a real drink with all these different ingredients. And she says, you always like, don't do anything half-assed. You'll like show up and do something for real or not even waste your time with it. Does it ever feel exhausting constantly shooting for like levels of achievement or I guess like accomplishment that is above just being where we are like does that ever get tiring for the most part it doesn't get tiring because I don't usually like to do things that I don't like to do I don't waste my time on things that I don't I mean we all do things we don't enjoy but I don't do it in like my job or something that I'm aiming for because I know that if I'm going to do something my best I have to enjoy it so that's part of it and then I think that Sometimes it's tiring, but usually that's because I overstretch myself personally. So I'm like trying to do way too much with too little time, but it always makes me step outside of my comfort zone and keep trying to grow. No, that was, that was the answer. You, you never feel burnt out because you're constantly doing things that you want to do. Yeah. And when you want to do something, you're fueled by a whole different energy than things you have to do. Yeah. Like I get excited. I went home for Christmas for two weeks I was like excited to come back. I got back on Friday night, went to bed. I woke up at 5 a.m. I'm like so ready to go because I just love what I do. But there are times when there was a time, I think this week I woke up, I did my morning routine. I journaled, meditated, read, walked the dogs, all this stuff. And then I started to work and I was feeling like super drained and exhausted. So I just went back to bed. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, you know what? I got up, you know, an hour later, I felt so much better, but I feel like, Sometimes entrepreneurs don't talk about, you know, sometimes things don't do- go exactly right. So my morning routine, that's all I did. 
and then I went back to bed because I was just feeling like out of it. And I got back up and I'm like, great. I think that's the high performers like code. Like, you know, you will get it done at some point if you are your best. So then it becomes managing your best. Right. How do you manage that surplus, that, that finite amount of best that we all have? I think that was a big thing for me, recognizing that you do have a finite amount of best. Yeah. Like you don't just have like this giant, like infinite supply of your best at all times. Like then you wouldn't be human. Like you have to manage it. One other thing I think showing like how I always try to do more is that I also enjoy the process of what it is. So when I get stuck in life or, or things aren't going as well, it's usually because I've got so caught up with the outcome of what I'm looking for that I stopped enjoying the process of doing it. And so like that small example of like making a drink, I actually like the process of making it. And I feel like whatever process it is that leads to the outcome, you have to enjoy that part because sometimes the outcome doesn't come out like you want or it's not as good as you want or whatever it is. But if you enjoy the process of doing whatever it is that you're you're doing, you're going to get like way further. Just to add to that, you know, for me, it's, not just the process, but how you're doing the process. Like if you're showing up and being your best while you're doing it, like for me, I actually find a lot of pleasure in just being the type of person I want to be while I go get the things I want to have. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I'm doing something and I'm doing it begrudgingly, or if I'm doing it with like an attitude that's just not conducive or not grateful and not enjoying it, um, that's what makes me hate the process. So it's almost like if I show up to the process, like somebody who is, grateful or passionate or like interested and then all of a sudden I start to kind of fall in love with the process so for me it almost like stems from me Mm -hmm. and how I show up and that goes back to what we were talking about just managing kind of like your best like yeah if if you're if you're if you're showing up as your best in whatever you're doing or just not doing it at all that's usually the best way to just sustain you wanting to go beyond mediocrity and get those things that you want in your life yeah Damn, that's deep. I'm so deep. So deep. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm I'm kind of I love how we came back to process because I think that's not something that people talk about enough, especially in the shiny world of social media, with everything being an end result and 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 the flashy highlight reel. Yeah. We come back to process. Are there things that keep you sort of rooted in like remind you that it is about the journey and not the destination? Are there things that you do to sort of remember that? It's more of experience. It's when I get caught up with the outcome, I don't enjoy anything as much. And when I just get into the process. So we recently brought someone in to handle a lot of like the day-to-day running and paperwork and taxes. And there's a lot of stuff that I do that I don't enjoy in business because I come from more of a creative side. So I like creating products. I like creating con. I just like creating in whatever form that is. And so when I was getting to the end of the week and I'm just feeling like, oh my God, I haven't been able to, it's Friday. I'm going to spend my weekend trying to create because my whole week of work has turned into bullshit <laughs> and it just frustrates me. And so a lot of last year, well, there was parts of last year that I was just feeling like frustrated. That was probably because I wasn't enjoying the process because that's not really where I'm in flow. And I was spending so much time doing the things that I wasn't in flow with that don't really derive value. I can do it, but is it like my skill? No, I'm basically in maintenance mode, like maintaining it, but not making it any better. So for me, when I'm in that state, then I'm outcome focused because I'm not enjoying the process. So the only thing that I have to look forward to is the outcome. Whereas if I'm doing the stuff that I love and that really is driving way more value, 
that's when I'm not focused on the outcome. How do you balance? And this is something I'm personally struggling with right now because I've been feeling my transition go from like entrepreneur to maybe part artist where I like the creative side. I love writing. I love creating these shows and I love this, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you balance your own sort of drive to be a great artist while being a great entrepreneur? So for me, like with Best Self or like Little Might, the art drives that. So like whether it's creating products and Best Self, I know that drives way more value. So for me, it's a case of finding people that are really good at the stuff that I'm not good at. And then also being very disciplined with when I make time to create. Because a lot of times, because it's our flow state and when we're really good at it, we don't actually block time in for it because we're just like, oh, we can just get into it anytime. So Wednesdays are typically my day where I don't do any calls and I try to batch my calls on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that I have time for other things. So I try to do all the day-to-day things on on those days so that I can focus on, okay, what can I create in these? Because I can't do anything creative if I don't have like three hours or four hours to just work on it solely without any distractions. So I think it's figuring out what creative things you can be in flow with and then being like a complete psycho with making sure that nobody gets in the way of it. Yeah, protecting your creative flow. We think it comes because we enjoy it and we like to get into it and we feel like, okay, I can do that at the weekend when all this other stuff's dealt with, but the other stuff just keeps coming. It just never stops. Yeah. You kind of have to guard it. Yeah. I found that. It's like, can you open up the floodgates for one call? All of a sudden, it's like, you yeah. have all of a sudden seven back to back to back that you just didn't and know just how like, it happened. <laughs> wake up in the morning, you're just like, oh my God, dreading the day. <laughs> no, I totally get that. Catherine, I needed to hear that last bit because I've been kind of going through this this weird transition where the things I used to be very good at are things that I'm not enjoying as much anymore. Yeah. So I'm like bringing on people that can handle that while I take on a new role that's much more refreshing and exciting. So it's refreshing just to hear that you can balance being an artist and an entrepreneur yeah. and kind of finding a way to drive value through it. All right. So... Tell me about your YouTube channel. Tell me about all the things you got going on right now and how anybody listening and myself can just come support and learn more from everything that you're growing. Cause this is, you're, you're just a badass, Catherine. So <laughs> thanks, Rash. So my YouTube channel is Little Might and my blog is Little Might also. So it's littlemite.com. And what I share there is just, How do you take an idea and create an impact, whether that's productivity, things that I do, leadership ideas, business ideas. I pretty much want to share a lot of what I've learned over the last like five years as far as going from being an architect to being an entrepreneur so that you don't have to do all the same stuff or make all the same mistakes that I did or read all the same books that I did because I'll take what I learn, I apply it to business or life, and then I I let you know what works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the best kind of teacher, guys. So definitely look at Catherine. Uh, She's all on social media too, so we'll keep all of her links available in the show notes. Catherine, I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you've accomplished from where you've come to where you are today, how do you stay grounded? How do I stay grounded? I think my daily routine, my morning routine specifically, when I get out of flow or I'm feeling reactive, it's usually because I fall out of doing the things that got me to where I am. So last year, 
it felt like that. I was very reactive all the time. And I realized it was because I stopped doing the stuff that got me to where I was, whether it's, you know, meditating in the morning, like spending an hour on my own stuff in the morning was just like foundational. And whenever I stopped doing that, it just spewed out into every other area of my life. I have one question on that. One more just on that though. So a certain routine brought you to where you are today. Can the same routine get you to where you want to go next? Or is it something that you have to be aware of and constantly change? And how do you stay grounded in that change? I'm not sure that your routine needs to change all that much to get to where you want to go. I think a lot of people start one way and then they are the type of person that they wanted to be. And so they stop doing the thing. And I don't think your routine needs to change as you change. There might be things that update or you might be interested in something else. So I started like learning how to play the piano and that I feel like super relaxing. And I like learning. I like that it's completely different to like business and entrepreneurship. So things are going to change as you grow, but I don't think you need to go out and learn how to do another routine. It's just going to be whatever feels good for you. Mm. So there it is, guys. Listen to yourself. Catherine, I love you, and I love that I got to spend an hour just picking your brain because we hang out a lot, but I don't know if I've actually had like a chance to just sit down with you and dive into the mind. So I love this. Scary thing. in there. It is pretty scary. <laughs> well, it didn't look so scary, so I'm excited to learn more and follow the YouTube channel and everything you're up to, so thank you. But guys, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Catherine. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat with you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.